Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us at Infused Church Online. Now I want you to think back to your childhood, maybe a time when your friends invited you over and they were going to watch a scary movie. And so for the next hour and a half or so, you had to pretend that you really weren't afraid, even though deep down you were freaking out. Now, what if I told you that there is a way that you could go through your life, now probably as an adult, you go through your life and you don't have to pretend that you're not afraid anymore because you're just not afraid anymore. What if that was possible? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm so glad you're here. Today we're wrapping up a four-part series we've been in called Creatures of Habit and how to help you not fall victim to your habits. Instead, maybe control your habits and change them. Um, if it's your first time joining us, uh, it, this is kind of a standalone message, so it'll probably work fine. But if you want to catch up in the last couple uh, episodes of this series, you can online or download our app. Um, and if you're watching online, thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of Infused Church online, near or far. We know we have people that literally watch every Sunday thousands of miles away, and that's, that's really cool as well. Um, so anyways, in a series called Creatures of Habit, um, and uh, essentially, um, if you want to learn more, uh, one of the books that I read in preparation for this series is called The Power of Habit. It's not a Christian book, it's just a book about habit. Also, a couple of you came up to me and said, this book is really good, it's really well-reviewed on Amazon, so if, if habits are a thing for you, if, there's, uh, if this series is like, hey, I, I'd like to learn more, these are some great resources that you can pick up, read, download on Audible. I, I tend to do a lot of my books through Audible because I can listen on the drive. Um, you can definitely check these out because there's some really interesting things that we didn't even get to like in in the power of habit the book I read um, he talked about the importance of belief in changing your habits uh, which is kind of interesting especially from a Christian perspective uh, also and I'm not exaggerating at all he talked about the power of community the power of small groups um, and how that can build uh, a church and build a community and build health into people's lives uh, as a habit, um, which is really, really neat. So worthy of picking up. Uh, just like to give you guys some additional resources if you wanted to grow on your own. Um, but essentially, to recap, kind of where we've been, um, we are, you are, we all are creatures of habit. Um, that's just not something we say. It's not a saying. Um, it is a fact. Forty to forty-five percent of our day is just habits. They're not decisions. They're just autopilot. They're just a matter of a behavior queuing up and then being executed. And you and I just don't hardly even think about it anymore. In fact, some of our most annoying habits, some of your spouse's most annoying habits, your most annoying habits, your roommate's most annoying habits are really just that, habits. Um, because even, even, and I think this is kind of uh, either scary or helpful, is even parenting. Some of your parenting styles are just habits. And some of those habits are habits you learned as a kid, how you deal with frustration and anger or people talking back at you. You learned that as a kid, and you just carried that forward into adulthood, and that's how you parent. That is the power of habits. You just react, okay? So 40% of our day follows this habit, what's called a habit loop, and we've talked about this every single week, but I want to refresh it because it's so critical to understanding and then being able to change your habits. It always begins with a cue, so there's, it kicks the brain into automatic mode. It tells which habit to use, so you can just imagine a big filing cabinet of habits, and you essentially, uh, your brain, when it sees a cue, uh, it goes to that filing cabinet, pulls out a routine, a physical, mental, or emotional response, executes it, and then the thing about habits that make them so difficult to change is the reward. The prize telling your brain this loop is worth remembering in the future. 
And you do these behaviors enough, they just become ingrained in a really deep, old part of the brain called the basal ganglia. That's essentially that filing cabinet. Um, and it's a very uh, strong, powerful, uh, over your body and your decisions uh, part of the brain. And that essentially initiates and stores and makes these cues work. And so essentially, for example, you wake up. I don't know if you do this. I can get like two nights of eight hours of sleep and be feeling pretty decent, minus waking up for, for the children, but, um, and, and you wake up feeling fairly refreshed, okay, I will still go get coffee. I will still drink coffee. And I look at the coffee, and I'm thinking to myself, Taylor, you slept really well. Why do you need this? It's my morning routine. My cue is I wake up, my routine is I go get it, the coffee, and the reward is that smell. The reward is the fact that I know I'm going to get a little bit of a brain high um, and feel a little bit more awake um, to preach on Sunday. Um, that, is, that is my routine. Um, and there's other things too, cleaning dishes, putting them on the sink or in the, in the dishwasher. That is all habitual. The reward is, well, am I going to do it now or am I going to do it later? And some of you learn that the reward is if I put it here, somebody else is going to do it. My mom did it, now my spouse does it, so it just keeps working. So I'm going to keep doing that habit, right? Where there's some big ones, some of you avoid conflict. You stonewall, you get defensive. Why? Because, hey, somebody's approaching me with a big problem that I don't want to deal with. I'm going to stonewall. The reward is I don't have to deal with it. And it really begins to affect our lives. So today, I want to talk about a powerful routine Last week we kind of talked about a cue. This week we're going to talk about a powerful routine, like anger, that we talked about last week, that when we get into that routine, it can just really determine the direction of our lives, determine how we make a decision in our lives. It actually makes a huge difference because the dangerous thing about these routines is it's just done almost automatically. We don't even think about it. We don't even question it. And so when it happens, we just kind of go through the motions and we don't think that maybe something could be different about it. And I didn't really actually mean this topic to fall on Halloween, but, but here it is, the week of Halloween, and we're going to talk about fear. Fear. That there are certain things in our lives that cue up fear. And then we hit this routine that we go through, and essentially it's a pretty simple. The reward always generally is, when it comes to fear, no more fear. Or feeling like we've regained control of the situation, or we're no longer afraid. And, uh, you know, it brings a little light in the, into the unknown, into the situation. Now, I realize some of you um, probably think, okay, well, fear, uh, that's an interesting topic, Taylor. But I actually kind of like fear. I like fear. Like, I like going to haunted houses around Halloween. I like the adrenaline high that comes from getting scared half to death. I like roller co coasters. I like just diving to the, you know, uh, 100, 100 miles an hour and all that. I love that. I love skydiving. I like being able to stare down the ground, i.e. death, in the face as I'm falling 9.8 meters a second to the ground. I mean, it's just like that's good for you, okay? It's not me, okay? That's not how I like to roll. Um, I do not like to go to scary movies. Uh, uh, now, but I want to acknowledge the fact that this is not what we're talking about today. Because I think what you're really saying at the end of the day, like I just mentioned, is I really like adrenaline rushes. I really like the shock factor. I like the startle factor. I like the rush. I like the unknown. Even though, let's be honest, you know the scare is coming in the movie. You just don't know exactly when, and it catches you a little off guard. Now, I don't, and part of that is just because, like, I have children, and they're, like, scare factor enough, 
okay? Like just the other day, um, Elia, for some reason, has realized that if she climbs up onto the ottoman and the couch, um, she can bounce more, okay? Um, and so when she dances, it gives her a little more height, which is obviously exciting to any child and some of you adults, in fact, okay? And so I'm in changing Everly, our four-week-old, and Steph's out with Elia on the ottoman, and they're dancing, okay? Steph's on the couch. Um, this is normal day, by the way. And Elia's dancing on the ottoman, and then I hear a, okay? And what does your brain go to? Oh, no, somebody broke a neck, all that kind of stuff. No crying, Okay? No crying, and then I hear, I hear my wife say, I should have probably ran this by her before, um, she says, um, oh, we better not tell daddy about that. <laughs> so if you have kids, you understand, or have had kids, you understand that there's enough there for everybody just to go around, okay? All right. Now, I think the fear that we're talking about is a little different, because let's be honest, you know you're in a movie theater. It's a scary movie, but after the scare, you can just pick up that popcorn and, you know, pop a couple kernels in the mouth, right? Or after the roller coaster or the haunted house, you get back in your car, in your safe car, you drive home with locks on your doors, and you just, you're fine. Underneath of it all, you know it's scary, but you know you're safe. Life goes on. But I think there's a fear that, in fact, is a lot deeper, that is a lot more difficult to see that changes our lives. Fear that changes our lives, shapes our routines, our habits, our decisions, our behaviors, and everything in between. And it's so difficult, so difficult to see. And so I thought I should just be transparent and begin by telling you about one of my deepest, deepest fears, and, and doing that by, I think, giving you kind of the cue, if we bring up the, the the cue on the next slide, that thing, um, the cue diagram, okay? So my biggest fear, and I'm, I'm being really transparent, I think I might have shared this before, um, my biggest fear is uh, failure, okay? Failure. Um, and it's not so much the fact of failing, it's the prospect of failing. You know, I don't actually have to do it, it's just the fact that I could. That is very frightening. It's the what if, it's the unknown of anything I do, anything I put my name behind, anything I say commit to or say yes to, that I deeply do not want to fail. And I realize this isn't therapy, so I'm not going to go too far into this, um, though I appreciate you listening um, and asking, asking how I feel about this, because um, I'm going to tell you. Um, but it, I think it just does a great job of illustrating how difficult these things are to see. Because, and if you've been like through our first step lunch or you've spent some time around me, one of the things that I value, um, and you may call it by a different name, but I call it excellence um, or improvement, um, uh, that's something that I value significantly. I, I, I want to always get better personally. I want us and everyone around me to get better, and I know that could look different in different ways. We as a church, if you spend enough time around here, we're, we're always changing things up. We're, and, and it's not just for the sake of change, it's because we really believe that this will be better, or this thing will help people better. And that's why I read books before messages, and I ask questions, and, I, and I'm always kind of just pushing. If you've served here long enough, you kind of know that I'm kind of like behind, well, what do you think about this? And kind of pushing. Okay, so that's my desire to be excellent, okay? Now, most of us would say, hey, especially if you're like in a management position or a leadership position, most of you would probably say like, that's a good quality, Taylor. Like someone coming and wanting to be part of our organization who desires excellence, we'd kind of want them to be on our team. Now I would ask you, and this is a trick question, is it always? Like 
especially for those of you who consider themselves Jesus followers, should you be striving for excellence or should you be striving for Jesus? And can you compromise loving others by, by trying to prioritize excellence? That maybe, in fact, for me, sometimes my desire to be better and my desire to excel and be excellent really just comes from a deep abiding fear of failing. And because I operate more out of a desire to avoid failure than a desire to love better, love more, and to follow Jesus better, I sometimes will compromise things that are honestly most important, like balance in my life or family time. Why do I do that? Because I know deep down the harder I work, I'm just speaking for me, maybe this is you too, the harder I work, the farther I get from failure or the farther I get from my fear. And then that motivates me. That motivates me to build habits and routines in my life that support this fear avoidance. And I begin to make decisions that support this fear avoidance. And you all look at it and you all say, oh, well, Taylor, I just appreciate how you've always gotten better and you've certainly preached better than when you guys started in the coffee shop four years ago and I really appreciate that. And it's like, yeah, you know, I think that's good. But, but is that because of a love for God and a love for you or is that just a, a fear avoidance? It's really difficult to see, isn't it? Because on the outside it looks good, but underneath of it, maybe you're suffering because deep down you're just really afraid. I mean, there's Bible verses. One of the, my favorite Bible verses is to say, excel in everything that you do. So the Bible supports my idea of excellence. And I could justify it if I wanted to. But I always am walking this emotional tightrope between is it just my fear guiding my decisions or is it really Jesus? What about you? Maybe, maybe yours is a similar story, but maybe it's something different. As you look at this cue routine circle, okay, what cues you into your fear? That fear of, you know, being, being alone or into a relationship, and, and you struggle to commit to that relationship because deep down you're just afraid of failing, or, or you're always in relationships because you're just afraid of being alone, and so you're in many relationships, or you're too quick to enter into relationships. Some of you have a deep abiding fear of not being in control of a situation, and you don't know how to function outside of a lack of control. And so you push your agenda, you push your ideas onto others way too aggressively. Not because you love others, but because deep down you're afraid of not being in control. You see how challenging this is to parse between a good motivator and a bad one? Some of you fear other people's opinions, and so you are pushed to a routine of conforming to other people because so long as you conform, you're rewarded with the fact that people accept you, at least on the surface. Some of you fear losing someone, losing a loved one, losing a child, losing a child again, and so you avoid that topic altogether because it's too painful, it's too difficult, and it's just easier to get the reward of avoidance. Or one of the easiest ones, and I don't mean to belabor it just because it's, uh, you know, like, oh, there's the pastor, he's going to talk about money, and, and let's be honest, next week we're going to start a really awesome series. It's going to be a lot of fun talking about um, money and how your, how your money can tell a better story, but money is just so easy because you can count it. It's math. 
You can't run away from the numbers like you can run away from uh, emotions, okay? And the thing about money sometimes is we operate from a place of fear. That as long as the money is focused on us and our needs and our desires and our bills, we're safer. And it's why so many of us struggle to be generous and to give. And I'm not talking like $25, $50, even $100 here or there. I realize that could be a lot for some people. But for the average American, average Johnson County household, average Tiffin household, that that doesn't even make it better um, because obviously the income gap is even greater once you just isolate Tiffin. Um, Those of us, we struggle with that because to let go of that money means to let go and, and not be afraid to let it go. And it's difficult. And it's easier just to hold on. The reward is, is more clearly seen when it's focused on us than when it's focused with others. Even if, even if we know that that money, which we really don't need, and could more greatly benefit others, we'll say, ah, no, we'd better stay with us. Better stay with me. And so today, I just want you to consider a different perspective on fear. And to consider a different perspective, we're going to turn to none other than Jesus, shocker, And we're going to turn to a moment that's actually kind of a really big moment in Jesus' ministry. It's one of these passages where it's kind of confusing, and so most of us, if we actually read through the Bible, we just kind of skip over it because it's easier and like, what's really happening here? And there's a lot of big statements in there that are kind of emotionally overwhelming, so we skip by it. Um, But this is a big deal in Jesus' ministry because it's the first time Jesus is going to send his disciples, his followers, out into the world without him. Jesus is not going with him. And he says, I'm going to send you out, and I'm going to send you to go heal people and help people and raise people from the dead. I mean, that's crazy. Like, imagine if I got up here and said, uh, next week I got up here and said, hey, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to go raise people from the dead. And you'd be like, I'm sorry, what? You should have kept that for Halloween because that would have made a little bit more sense than that does today, right? I mean, it's just, it's crazy, okay? It's like you're sending, and and, and it's this moment um, for Jesus when he's trying to, like, it's almost like you're sending your kids off to camp for the first time or they're going to leave the house for, like, a week for the first time, okay? And so Jesus isn't just saying, like, here's what you're going to go do. He tries to emotionally prepare them for the eventualities that are going to happen when they get out in the world on their own without him, okay? Now, Um, here's how he begins. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, and he says, pretty simply, I am sending you out. Now, I don't know how this went, but I'm assuming some of the disciples, maybe Peter, maybe John, they're kind of thinking to themselves, oh, finally, you know, we're going to go out on our own. We're going to do some good. We're going to help some people. It's going to be awesome, you know, in the name of Jesus. I'm going to heal you, and it's just going to be cool, and everybody's going to be like, wow, you know, and it's, it's kind of like that first time your parents let you go out late, stay out late, go over to a friend's house, okay, kind of thing, all right, maybe see a scary movie, and you're just kind of like excited about it, okay, and so I would imagine as Jesus started this, his disciples were kind of stoked. They're excited to go out on their own, especially because Jesus is going to give them some awesome power, okay? Even if you don't believe in miracles, just imagine you had the power. That'd be kind of cool. Kind of cool, right? Here's Jesus. He continues, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Have fun. Okay? It's kind of like, what, Jesus? Like, you're sending us out, we're really excited about that, but shouldn't it be, like, the other way around because, like, you're the Son of God and you're sending us out with amazing power, so shouldn't it be, like, you're sending us out like wolves among sheep and we're going to show everybody else what's up? And isn't it more like us have the power? We're going to go out and heal people, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you have to understand kind of what happens because if we all just, like, went out into the world and we just started healing people, people kind of freak out. 
I mean, let's be honest. You start raising people from the dead, people's minds are going to go first to zombies, not to, wow, Jesus must be coming. Okay? I mean, that's just fair, right? People are not going to respond well to the power that you're bringing to the table. And Jesus is trying to say, yeah, you're going to go out and you're going to do good. But people are going to be afraid. And when people get afraid, they lash out. When people feel like they're losing control of the situation, they lash out. You've probably experienced this once or twice. When people are not in a happy place, they lash out. And Jesus, of course, Jesus knows. Jesus is like, hey, literally, I've come for years, and I'm doing some amazing things, healing people, feeding people, all these great things. People are going to crucify me for it. This is not going to be as awesome as you think. You need to be aware that you are going to be sheep among wolves. Therefore, Jesus continues to kind of prepare them for this. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the name, or excuse me, flogged in the synagogues. I mean, this sounds awful. This is not exciting anymore. So I want to ask you, when do you feel like sheep? And I don't know what kind of you picture in your mind, but I just picture like this green meadow, and I'm the sheep in the green meadow, okay? There's no fences, and there's a tree line, and so every day you're just kind of wondering what's going to come out of the tree line. This could be every day at work for you. This could be every day when you go home. This could be calling up your parents. It's like, what's going to happen now? You feel like a sheep. In other words, let me just spell this out for you. You feel afraid. You feel vulnerable. You feel exposed. You feel like people see you even maybe better than you see yourself. You're in a pasture alone, and you cannot see very far. When do you feel like that? Because this is a really important step in the change process. When do you feel like sheep? We'll get back to this. He continues, so do not, Jesus says, do not be afraid of them. Easier said than done. I'm going to be like sheep among wolves. I'm going to be flogged. It's like you're almost guaranteeing this. How am I not going to be afraid? For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will be made known. This is essentially some Hebrew poetry that essentially says the truth will be made known. And so, yes, you're going to go out and do good things, and you've experienced this. You've gone out and done good things, and people still attack you for it. And you're kind of like, whoa, what's up with that? Jesus is like, you're going to go out and do good things because it's the right thing to do. Do not be afraid. Why? Because you're doing good things in my name. And I just want you to be aware that at some point in time, the truth will be made known. It will most likely not be while you're doing it. It will be later after you've endured the suffering and the pain and the fear. And then he kind of repeats the same idea in the next verse, just real quick going through it. It says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim at the roofs. Just letting this truth ring out. And then there's this big verse um, that half of it you've probably heard about, but then you probably didn't actually like hear the second part. Um, Anyways, here's how it goes. It says, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Can't be afraid of those people. Instead, if you're going to be afraid, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body. This is like super dynamic, okay? This is intense. But it's kind of a fair point. Even if you don't believe in God, like think about this. If God exists, who should you be most afraid of? Money or the lack thereof? Being alone? Being insecure? 
Or should you be the, afraid of the one who created money? The one who created relationships? The one who created morality and values and justice? Which one is more worthy of your fear? Jesus said, let me tell you a little something, because at this point in the story, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, God sounds a little frightening. That may be the God that you grew up with going to church. And Jesus says, I just want to clarify the God that I'm talking about. He said, are not two, uh, two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? Essentially, sparrows are worthless, and sometimes you may feel worthless, but I promise you, even the most worthless thing on the planet, God knows about. And not only that God knows about it, it's in your Father's care. So yeah, can God destroy the soul and, and, and the body both? Is God in complete control? Yes, but you're in the hands of a Father who cares. And then here's another verse. We may know the first part, but not the second part. Here it goes. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's how much God cares. So, transition, so, if your hairs are numbered and God knows how many numbers there are, do not, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows to your heavenly Father. Yes, he's saying, yes, you will endure hardships. Yes, you will have reason to fear. I'm going to say this again. You will in your life have reason to fear. But you are within your Father's care. So, going back, when do you feel like a sheep? When do you feel like a sheep? When do you feel like there may be a flogging in your future? And obviously, these days, not like a real flogging. I hope. In other words, there's going to be times of fear. There will be. Currently are, maybe even. And Jesus says to you, you're in your Father's care. You're in your Father's care even when you feel like a sheep and you're among wolves. And so from that point forward, the disciples never feared again, and they lived happily ever after. The end. Of course not! Like four chapters later, there's this whole big storm, and they're on the, o and then they're on the Sea of Galilee, big storm, okay? They think they're all going to die, and so then they see this ghost, and they're even more afraid, and then they're like, oh no, it's Jesus, it's not a ghost. Ha, ah, what a coincidence. Now what do we do? And Peter's like, i got to get out of the boat, okay? And I'm going to walk on water. And then what does Jesus, and what does Peter do? He gets afraid, and then he starts to th sink, and then Jesus is like, at least Peter got out of the boat. You guys just stayed in the boat because you were too afraid to get out of the boat. At least he had a little bit more courage and faith and maybe remembered this lesson that was four chapters earlier. I mean, heavens, when are you guys going to learn? And then later in the story, Jesus is arrested, about to be crucified, and in this whole exchange between the temple guards and the, and the high priests and all the, these guys, and they're arresting Jesus, okay, and one of his disciples, we don't know who, that's in the Gospel of Mark, and you can read it, and I'm not exaggerating, one of the disciples was so afraid, he tried to run, and the temple guard grabbed his cloak, pulled it off, and so he essentially ran away naked and afraid. Okay. And so, I don't know about Jesus, but I'd be at this point, personally, I'd be a little frustrated. It's like, how many times do I have to do things and show you that you do not need to fear? And yet, even when you're at the lowest of the low, when Jesus, the guy who you followed for years, is about to be, or is being arrested, you run away naked and afraid. And let's be honest, because I was in your shoes at one point, 
you're kind of going to walk out these doors and get in your car and you're going to drive off, okay? And, and this was good and that was helpful. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Taylor, and all that good stuff. But there's a good portion of you that are still probably going to be afraid. You're still going to wrestle with fear. In fact, you may get home and you're thinking about this tonight before you go to bed and you're going to realize, wow, there may actually be more th- places in my life where at the heart of it I'm motivated more by fear than anything else. And it's dictating and controlling too much of my life, and I really have to examine this. And so you kind of got to think, okay, Jesus, so you're the Son of God. When are things going to change for your disciples? When are your disciples going to get this idea that, yes, they are sheep among wolves, but they do not need to be afraid? When are they going to get it? And they got it. They got it when Jesus was not only arrested, but when he died because he was crucified, he was buried, and then the same disciples, the same disciples that ran away, that hid, that were afraid, saw him alive again. Because whether you agree with the Bible or not, and the biblical story in Jesus or not, seeing a resurrected Jesus would probably change a few things for you. Because especially because I think our ultimate fear at the end of the day, you can say, oh, I don't fear death, and I'm a, you know, I'm macho, and whatever, whatever. Ultimately, our fear is death. We fear it. Death gives life some, uh, some anxiety, give, gives something to life to worry about, like we're running out of time. Or we thought we had more time, and now we're really running out of time. And it drives us more sometimes than I think we think it does. It's when those same men who were deeply, deeply afraid, who listened to Jesus time after time after time after time, tell them to not be afraid. It's when they saw him for the first time, and some of them, some of them didn't need even, they needed to see him, and they needed to see the holes in his arms and his feet to know that this really was the man who had told them again and again, do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Do not fear. Why? Because you are in my Father's care. And in my Father's care, and in my Father's will, and in my Father's plan, death is defeated. You do not need to be naked and afraid. You do not need to worry about your identity You do not need to worry about your looks. You do not need to worry about who's on your arm or not on your arm. You do not need to worry about your promotion. You do not need to worry about eternity. Because they saw a resurrected Jesus. And it changed everything. It changed everything. It changed their habits, their routines, and their behaviors. And what they did next, and I've shared this with you how many times, and it's just so incredible to me, what they do next is they go back. (laughs) They go back to the people who crucified Jesus just a few days, few weeks before, went into their meeting place, essentially, and said, you guys killed Jesus. You messed up. You sinned. You need to repent. Fire brimstone kind of preaching here, okay? Jesus came back. We saw him. You need to say you're sorry. Could you imagine sitting as the people who just crucified Jesus, and here's his followers, and they don't seem to have a fear in the world. 
And you're kind of trying to figure out, like, what happened? What changed? It started to make them, them even second guess what had happened. What happened for them and what can happen for you on the very simple level is their, their routines were replaced. They replaced their routine of fear with routines of faith. They replaced their routines of fear with routines of faith. They saw where they were fearful, even though Jesus told them not to be, and they said, I'm going to replace it with faith in a resurrected Jesus. And it wasn't just them. And it wasn't just the book of Acts. So you can go, go home and read the book of Acts, and you'll see just this incredible change between disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who were afraid to disciples who were unafraid. Who were unafraid. And then, and this is not even biblical. You get out of the Bible, you just get into history. For the next couple hundred years, Christians would be known by their lack of fear. Roman emperors who you learned about in, in college and in high school, they wrote about, and their, their officers and doctors and people would write about the fearlessness of Christians. How Christians would be so persecuted, they'd be in the Roman Colosseums losing their life because of their faith and doing so without fear, singing hymns and being joyful. Christians would, instead of running away when plagues struck cities, Christians stayed to love their neighbors whom they did not know were dying and would cost some of them their own lives for staying and loving. Why? Because they saw a resurrected Jesus, or they knew people who saw a resurrected Jesus, and they said, I'd rather not go through life afraid. I'd rather go through life like that. And if I'm going to lose my life, I'm going to lose my life for him loving those whom he called us to love. It went so far beyond Jesus' teachings. It went so far beyond cute little slides. It was real. It was transforming. And even 2,000 years later, you get to talk to people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And one of the things they'll tell you straight up is, my relationship with fear changed dramatically. See, I have peace in my life that passes all understanding. Why? Because I don't fear anymore. I'm not just running out there and doing silly things. I'm still making wise decisions, but I'm making wise decisions because God loves me and I love my neighbor, and it has changed my paradigm. Jesus said, do not be afraid, and it still changes lives today. So that's my invitation to you, is maybe consider your habits, your routines, and where maybe in your life fear has more of a hold than you realize it does. And instead, replacing that routine of fear with a routine of faith that you are cared for by your Father in heaven, and that your Savior died defeated death, and rose again, and you can experience that too. Because your heavenly Father knows even the number of hairs on your head. And so he's certainly not going to let anything that bad, that life-changing, eternity-changing happen to you. 
just inviting you to replace fear with faith. If you would, bow your heads, pray with me, sing a song, and get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for this story that was preserved over the last thousand, two thousand years that we can read it today of the disciples who didn't write themselves into history as bold, strong, courageous people. They wrote themselves into history as they were. Afraid. Struggling with the real things of life. Struggling with the real reasons to be afraid. And even those who followed Jesus directly struggled with this idea of not being afraid. But also thank you for a risen Savior. That we have the opportunity, not the guilt or obligation, but we have the opportunity, the invitation to follow a man who died and rose again. A man who was and is the Son of God. Because God didn't just want to stay away from us, He wanted to come down and be with us and show us the life that we can live now and the uh, everlasting life we can have in our future. Thank you, Lord, for this story. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And Lord, finally, I just, I just pray for all of us in this room who are struggling deeply with fears, fears we don't maybe even recognize are there or maybe are just beginning to recognize are there. Lord, I just pray that you would help us work through them. Help us to get to the point where we're tired, we're just exhausted of being afraid of losing that money, being afraid of losing that relationship, being afraid of what is dragging us down, and we would let it go and instead trust in you. Lord, this morning, I just want to give those people a chance to let that go and let the routine, the habits, the peace that comes with trust take hold. And from this moment, walk out, changed, transformed into something new, something that has joy and peace and patience and is loved. Help us, Lord, to pursue that, to pursue that. Lord, we thank you for the story, for your son, and everything that goes with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The good news is you can still enjoy the frightening things in life, like roller coasters and haunted houses, while not letting your fear control your decisions and the direction of your life. And my prayer for you is that you would recognize those cues that bring you to a routine of fear, and you would replace that fear with faith. And my final hope for you is that you'll be here next week as we kick off a brand new series, Money Talks. Have a great one.